0: TEX-US.com.
1: Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith.
2: Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan McVall.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, thanks again for listening. Um, today, we are going to talk about first responders and public safety and one big way that wireless plays a role in enabling them to do their job and keep them safe. To do this, we have a guest with us today, Chris Cool. Welcome, Chris, for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. You bet. So normally I would introduce uh, our guests by giving you some background, tell you what they do, but Today we're gonna to do something a little different. I'm gonna let Chris introduce himself by way of telling some stories or a story about his background as a first responder and his background as a player in wireless telecom, and kind of how his story can tie that together and, and let you uh, introduce yourself to our to our audience, Chris. So, uh, with that, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and what what uh, what got you to what you're doing today?
1: Great. So. You know, I started off in in wireless or telecom very very early on. I actually worked for the phone company back east. Didn't like doing that much uh, longer. I wanted to be in the warmer weather, so I decided that uh, hey, you know what, I want to give uh, uh, California a try. Found my way into the the, the police academy in uh, Southern California. Went through the police academy and uh, and and ended up uh, uh, as a reserve officer. Was a fully sworn reserve officer in California. And um, been doing that now for you know going on two decades um, as a as a as a side uh, to my wireless adventures that I've that I've uh, gone down the last couple of years or you know for my career uh, you know I just found that you know working full time law enforcement just wasn't really what I wanted to do you know, you see very much uh, the stresses and, and, and the the commitment that it really takes and I really honor those guys for for wanting to do it forty hours a week I've had a you know great run. And it's been, you know, really eye-opening because I see both sides of the coin, especially as, you know, working today uh, as the director of sales for Coma Telecom, which we are uh, one of the largest OEMs of public safety DAS equipment. So I have experience using the radio system. I have experience as a first responder. I have experience now helping integrators and first responders uh, because I work a lot with the jurisdictions. So I understand their need. I understand the pain point. And I understand the radio systems and how they work and really the deficiencies and where it, uh, improvements can be made. So it's a it's a really neat kind of blend. It's a very niche blend uh, of having being on the one side of the radio and then also being on the other side of the radio. So not too many people can say they've been, you know, in the front uh, in a police car, especially in the front seat. The, the view is much different. And it's, uh, you know, you 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 realize how critical your communication is right and especially when when things go bad and i've had things go bad and i've been in situations where my radio has not worked uh you know one instance in particular i was very young uh, i was very uh, new officer i was literally less than a year and i ended up stopping a car for no license plate light because that's what rookies do at four o'clock in the morning right and uh, you know, the, the person inside didn't necessarily want to cooperate. Long story short, I ended up getting into uh, an ostrom ball shooting uh, inside of an area that my radio didn't work and that was a very long time ago. So that still sticks with sticks with me today. And I had to make some very very d- difficult decisions because my radio did not work. The dispatcher, I could hear the dispatcher, the dispatcher could not hear me, right? So, you know, and, you know, back then, I didn't know. I mean, my downlink was working, but my uplink wasn't working so great. And that's not that's not that's a big problem. So they didn't know where I was. Again, rookie mistake, not putting out, you know, exactly where I'm at. And, um, you know, I could hear the panic in the dispatcher's voice, really. It it, it affects more than just the officer because it wasn't just one dispatcher. Of course, you know, the perfect storm. You've got a rookie officer, a relatively rookie officer with a rookie dispatcher. She was brand new. So it was it it was a very interesting scenario because she was panicked naturally. Right. Mm -hmm. She has an officer. She can't communicate. She doesn't know where that. She just knows this really bad guy who just popped up with a, with a murder warrant or an accessory to murder warrant. And I'm not responding to her. Right. So needless to say, she, she, she was uh, extremely affected by it. So it's not just the officers, right? You have to keep in mind the dispatchers have a really, really hard job. I mean, their job, I think is sometimes harder than the officer's job. So, you know, it's, 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 it, it's, This is why I take this so seriously in my position here at Comba, is because I know going into that situation, the things that were running through my mind at the time were just bad decision and worse decision. I've got to make a decision here. Am I going to pull out? Am I going to move forward? What am I going to do? And, you know, fortunately, uh, it worked out for me. The, I was able to take, you know, the suspect into custody, but that was after getting into an officer-involved shooting with the suspect. So, and and you know, again, and that takes it very. I, I take this very, very seriously, and this is why we're we're tr- always trying to raise the bar here at Comba with quality of the work and the quality of in-building radio. And because it it it's not, it might be me one day using that radio system, it might be my friend, it might be my partner. Although they're all starting to retire, right? I'm getting to that age. Where we're all starting to age out. But I was also an instructor at the academy. I know a lot of these kids, right? So, you know, I, I know these people and I want to make sure that they're safe and I want to make sure that the situation that I was in should never happen again. We have the technology now, it's affordable, it's better understood, and we we as first responders should have communication inside of buildings and cost should not be a factor. And it it is no longer Cost prohibitive, like it used to be when the industry was very nascent. Cost was a factor. The technology was limited, but that is no longer the case. The cost has come down c- considerably.
0: Wow, that uh, that story. Just first of all, thank you for for what you do to protect uh, all of us, and 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 th- that you have done. It made my literally. I felt the goosebumps on the back of my neck as I was imagining what that must have been like. So um, it definitely. Wow, it really brings it home um, into uh, to you know how important all the little things that you need, the tools you need to do your job, how important they are, and and your radio is a key part of that. So, thanks, yeah. thanks for sharing that. It's it's you know and 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 I've had many other
1: situations throughout the years where I've gone in the parking structures, underground parking structures, as as in California, we're not building out anymore, right? What are we doing? We're building up, right? Mm-hmm. So. Got to put parking somewhere. Where does that go underground? Right. I mean, look around. Look what we're building, and that's that's another you know area that is you know with not only police with EMS and 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 it's critical. Um, it's it's absolutely critical. You know, there there are some areas that I you know obviously I won't talk about them, but we know that our radio coverage is deficient, and they literally will not send one officer for that reason. Um, and that's inexcusable to me. Right? That's just inexcusable that. Potentially an officer is going to be pulled back because we know in advance that there's no coverage inside, and we need a partner right something that could be potentially handled by one they won't send one they'll send two so that that's that's just inexcusable to me and it, it's it can be fixed fire code says it has to be there, and there's plenty of expertise now to to
2: address these issues yeah, you know a thought that comes up for me, chris is um when you when you, the word first responder, these, this network is really it, for law enforcement, one, but it's also for fire, you know, just all types of first responders to anything in, in the public genre. How how do they utilize it the same? It's just as important for, say, an ambulance to get there or medics to get to a, a scene, too, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, and that's really kind of what been my rallying cry the last couple of years. And, and I know a lot of the, uh, The eight jurisdictions are getting tired of hearing from me about it. But if you read the fire code and if you read a lot of the jurisdictions' ordinances, or what we call the ordinance that actually enforces it, because you have your NFPA and and the ISC or the International Fire Code, which mandates this coverage in buildings. But the many cities, they have their own ordinances that specifically get more specific based on what they need. What's very discouraging to me is many cities and large cities do not mandate law enforcement coverage. In their buildings because it's in the fire code they just assumed it was just the fire department well let's face it who today is most likely to go inside of a building right not the fire department right i love those guys right and you know they they you know they get to work out all day and they got a cool dog and they get to barbecue in the backyard back to the (laughs) fire station so that's great but let's face it if you're going to go into a building today the very the the likelihood is it's going to be a law enforcement response And especially if it's a critical incident, because I could tell you right now, the standard operating procedure, if there's a critical incident in a building or anywhere, really, uh, the fire department is going to stage, right? They are going to pull back. They're going to park about three or four blocks away, which absolutely they should. And they're going to wait for law enforcement to secure the scene or to secure the building. So an active shooter, um, you know, a a potential mass shooting incident, anything like that, fire department is not going to run in there and nor should they. So. What's discouraging to me is that there are too many agencies, and I mean far too many agencies, that do not mandate law enforcement or EMS coverage in the buildings. You know, a perfect example is the city of Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles is the second largest city in the country. And if in their fire code today, only LA Fire is required to be in the DAS. LAPD is excluded. Wow. So, So think about that, right? I mean, you have All these other issues that are coming up, right? And and it's that they're not uncommon. They're just the ones that I use as a as an example because it is the city of Los Angeles, right? Now, fortunately, there are other cities who've caught on. You know, Phoenix Mm -hmm. has done a great job. They mandate law enforcement coverage in the building. Clark County in Vegas, they now mandate. But look, they had to have an incident, right? And we all know what happened at the Mandalay Bay, right? And that was another yeah. incident where communication was lost. Communication was not there. So, is, is
2: there an advocacy group like you know? Is there one out there that's going to do the code to bring it together, or you guys just do it ad hoc? You know, and what what I mean by that is like, where are the standards going to come from?
1: So the standards come from really the um, international fire code, but yeah. there there is an advocacy group, uh, the Safer Buildings Coalition or SBC, okay. that does, uh, it is a nonprofit that is out there promoting and working with, and they do seminars, and as a matter of fact, they're doing one today uh, in Southern California. So, you know, there there are people out there that are pushing it, you know, more advocating for it, but there's still a lot of work to do. You know, once you get outside of California, Texas, Florida, Denver, uh, you know, Denver is a pretty aggressive enforcer. Seattle is a very aggressive enforcer. There's many cities that don't enforce. They just, they, they ignore the code and that's becoming less and less as the, this is becoming more mainstream, I should say, or people are getting better trained because I still deal with agencies today that they literally, the fire chief will say, I didn't know I could mandate this. I didn't know we could mm-hmm. do this, uh, which is pretty stunning to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because this has been in the code a long time. It just never got enforced
0: yeah so as I understand it, Chris, in some cases, even though the code explicitly is addressing fire and not and not other first responder um, services, in some cases we're kind of lucky because it's the same radio network that serves both police and fire in some in some jurisdictions in other jurisdictions it's not is that is that an accurate assessment?
1: Yeah, you know, and that's 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 the problematic part in LA, right? The city of LA, mm-hmm. the fire department is on the eight hundred megahertz system, where the Los Angeles Police Department uses UHF for the four hundred and fifty band. So that is part of the problem. Uh, they are transitioning over, but even in some cities where they are seven hundred, eight hundred, they don't mandate the police channels to be included, which is you know really negligent and really unfortunate because it's a really easy fix. If you're using right. 800 megahertz, it's really easy to just include the police channels. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. you just have to program it into the BDA um, so or the the, the, the amplifier. So, you, you know, again, it's education, 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 and education. Mm-hmm. And, and let's face it, you know, we're all a product of path of least resistance a lot of times. And if we don't know, uh, and I hate to say it, I've worked with government employees enough. Uh, I'm guilty of it as well. Nobody wants to be the dumbest guy in the room. So we do these seminars and, you know, we don't get, you know, we, we try to encourage feedback, but I see it. I see they don't want to ask the question because they're like, wow, this is going to be a really dumb question, but there are no dumb questions. You're here to learn. Right. We, we want to help you. We want to teach you, but I get it. This is out of their wheelhouse. Right. I mean, look, the fire department is saying, look, how did we get looped into this? You know, I mean, this is, this is supposed to be, I don't know anything about two way radio. You know, I, 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 so That's part of the problem is is having it in, you know, that it, it got put in the fire code and then the fire departments were mandated with this, but nobody was giving them training.
0: Yeah. Well, and I found like everything in my career that when I first started working on public safety systems, it was just as simple as just being a friendly advocate and partner with the folks on the other side that were trying to help and not making them feel... Like they need to be an expert. Like it's a, it's a partnership, right? We all work on it together. And so I can learn from them what their needs are, where their shortcomings are. They can learn the same from me. And together I found that when we partner, I can ask them the stupid questions too, (laughs) because there's a lot about their job. I don't know as a radio frequency engineer, right? And, and I found that oftentimes that, you know, we can all open up and work hand in hand together and and have the best solution because it's hard for a regulation or a, you know, a code to cover every single scenario as well. And you end up with you know 5,000 pages of code that nobody can understand at that point. So you have to be able to fill in the, the blanks as a team. And I've found that to be very helpful. And I, and I have found, fortunately, in most of my cases, that systems I've worked on that I've built, that nothing was brought up to your point about you know, uh, law enforcement in the systems I built. And we were just fortunate that the systems we were building for fire also took care of law enforcement, and so it still got addressed, even though we didn't explicitly ask any questions about law enforcement in the systems we were building. So it's a really important point you bring up that I, I hadn't actually honestly thought about.
1: Yeah, you, you know, and especially as you get into jurisdictions that have multiple bands, you know, that we'll we'll talk about later. But that's really where it gets problematic, and it gets very expensive. And 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 I, and I hate to say it, where it, ends up happening is is the building owners push back, and depending on how much political will they have, they oftentimes can move the needle. I mean, look what happened in Clark County. Uh, Clark County, Nevada, originally issued their public safety in-building mandate back in 2005, and we know what happened in 2006, <laughs> uh, and everybody started crying poor. And the next thing you know, there was no systems put in for 10, 12, 13 years. And then Mandalay Bay happened. And now there's a mad rush in Vegas, right? There's there's these hotels are now scrambling to put systems in. It's amazing what an $800 million lawsuit will do, right? So yeah. the system would have been a lot less, right? Um, and I'm not saying that's the only reason they paid out, but the, the multi band cities, it, it can get very expensive for the building owner. And let's face it, you know, these building owners, these developers, they do tend to have a lot of pull within the city. And they can unfortunately they don't see an ROI they don't see a return on their investment on a public safety das and they they oftentimes have enough political will to to
2: muscle it out you know and I um, something comes to mind for me I think it'd be really helpful for the listeners is when we use the term public safety you know we know that we have a cellular a commercial cellular network that we all use I think it'd be good for if you could define, you know, public safety versus conventional cellular and why there is a difference. Some people may not even realize that there is a difference in in coverage. Yeah. I mean, there
1: certainly is. So with the cellular bands, you know, you're working off of obviously the operator or AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, what they own. The public safety works off of LMR or land mobile radio bands, which are the, today are the 700, 800, 700 is, is making its way out 800 is with what they call the NIPS PAC band or the National Public Safety Consortium Band. And it's a very delineated band and it's, it's very good. It's, it was very well coordinated. They have regions and the frequencies are handed out to jurisdictions as they make. Um, and it's dedicated just to public safety. So nobody else can touch those bands. The cities that are still working off of UHF, uh, which is the 450 to the 512 band, those cities, they're, they're a mishmash. The frequencies came from everywhere, um, so you could have really spread out frequency pass bands that, that get really difficult to work with. UHF is slowly you know, getting pushed out um, because it's the 700, 800 is an is a easier system to work with, and especially as they go to these regional systems like LA RICS, Utah Communications Authority is now taking over all the public safety in the state of Utah. Regional Wireless Cooperative in Phoenix is now taking over all of the Greater Phoenix um, public safety responsibility, and there are seven hundred. There are seven hundred only network, right? So the the for people that understand cellular daz they'll say, "Well, hey, wait a second. There's seven hundred megahertz upper band and lower band for AT and T and Verizon, and there's also eight fifty on Verizon and T Mobile." But public safety falls in there, and that's exactly right. So if you look at the the eight hundred band you'll see the 850 small, falls smack dab in the middle of the uplink and the downlink of the public safety band. And as we're, we're seeing now, we're seeing a lot more interference and we're having to use external filtering and things like that to keep out the cellular band. But basically the public safety radio is just land mobile radio. It's two-way radio. It's been around for a long time. It's tried and true and it works. Um, and that's why you know me personally i hope they never mess with it i hope they don't try to come up with something different because this works and it work, when it works it works really really well a well designed system is is money it works they work great and there are a lot of really well designed systems and there are a lot of systems that work really well and you know you don't want to start messing with something that's not not broken
0: yeah, and and I think for for uh, our listeners' edification, we've um, we've used a term a little bit in this um, episode called DAS, and so I want to back the train up a little bit and help people understand that just like a cellular network, these public safety networks are outdoor networks. There's towers and buildings all around the area that are combined to work together to provide service to an area, just like a cellular network. And then you'll have instances just like you do in a cellular network where. Your phone doesn't work inside where a public safety radio won't work inside. And that's where the term DAS comes in, D-A-S, Distributed Antenna System. So talk a little bit about what a distributed antenna system is, how that works with the outdoor network. And I think that'll help tie together what it is you do today for Comba,
1: right? So, yeah, thanks. Uh, You know, a distributed antenna is exactly as you say. It takes a signal from the outside, brings it in from an antenna that you put up on the building, goes down a cable into the bi-directional amplifier or whatever to other equipment you're using to amplify the signal. And then the signal, the, the coaxial cable comes out from there and goes to service antennas that are installed throughout the building. So it basically brings the signal in and redistributes it amongst the building. And part of the reason you're having this problem uh, is the new e-glass, right, that's being used in most or all, not all, almost all uh, new construction. So it's, you know, I always explain it to people like this. You've been in a building before with your cell phone. It works. You know, how many people, how many times have you seen people before cellular distributed antenna systems are being put in? Have you seen people run over to a window to keep a call? Hold on, hold on. I can, I can get it over here, right? Because the, the, the coating on that glass is blocking out the signal, right? It's great for energy efficiency. It's great for building comfort. We definitely should be putting them in, but. It has the negative effect of if you're in the middle of that office floor, your cell phone doesn't work. If you're in a stairwell, your your cell phone doesn't work, right? Uh, we've all run into it. Every every one of us have, right? I've run over to many windows and be like, oh, I can get you right here. Well, it's the same thing with a first responder. But unfortunately, we, as, as a first responder, you don't get that luxury of running over to the window to say, let, let, let me have my radio work. And same thing with a stairwell, right? If you're in a stairwell uh, you don't get that luxury, so that's what I do. At, you know, with, with Combas, I work with integrators. I work with jurisdictions. We help train the jurisdictions, and then we also work with the integrators that put these systems in to bring that system signal from the outside and make sure that it is fully covered within the building, or at least ninety five percent as the as the fire code requires.
0: Yeah, and, and your story you told at the beginning, I think that's another important thing for people to understand is that. These systems, whether it be public safety radio, whether it be first responder systems, cellular systems, Wi-Fi systems, they're two two-way communication systems. You know, a lot of people think, well, I'll just I'll just turn the power up on all my sites and I'll cover more stuff. But in your case, in your example, the problem was the radio couldn't get back to the outside network, not the other That's way right. around. People have to understand these are two-way communication systems. So whether it's a, a push to talk radio and a land mobile radio network or it's your cell phone, that's the limiting factor very often, right? It's a smaller device, it's lower power, it's got these little batteries so they can put, in, put them in our pockets. And so that oftentimes means the problem is your device getting back to the network, not the other way around. And I think that's an important general factor that your story brings out is that oftentimes you might look at your phone and you say, I got five bars, what's the problem? Well, your phone can't get back to the network, for example. So I think uh, your story opens up so many great, great pieces for people to
1: understand. So I've had instances even with, you know, you bring up a good point with your handheld having lower power. I've had instances even where I've used my handheld outside of a building and it didn't hit the tower. Um, I could hear dispatch, but dispatch couldn't hear me. And I have to actually go back to my patrol car and use the, 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 the radio in the patrol car because that's putting out a full three watts of power. Right. So you know, we've, 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 I've, I've even experienced that on the outdoor network, few and far between nowadays, but very, very, very much so in, in buildings. And that's why there's now this enormous push to provide the coverage in, in buildings because we're, we're now, the jurisdictions have seen that these are, these systems are much simpler than they were when they first came out. And they're, like I said earlier, they're much cheaper to install. So, the uplink and the downlink is is key. You know, the downlink is rarely the problem. It's 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 the uplink. It's your it's your signal out. So me going out is the uplink back to to the tower and back to the um, the dispatcher. Ultimately, he, the, hearing my, my lifeline as we call them, right? My you know, your dispatcher absolutely is your lifeline when you're out there on your own. You know, many many law enforcement officers today work by themselves. Uh, they don't work two man cars. Your dispatcher is your lifeline. And you want to make sure you can talk to your lifeline.
0: Yeah, yeah. So to your point, so we live in a world now where in the United States, not all, but many jurisdictions now have building code regulation that says, hey, if you're if you're constructing or developing a building or, or doing a significant remodel on a building over a certain size, you're required by law now to get your building permit closed out, or your certificate of occupancy, to put in a public safety. Uh, radio system. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, uh, that is correct. Um, the code as it's written today is the, the, the base code in the IFC and NFPA is 50,000 square feet or three stories above grade or subterranean parking. And there's a, the the last caveat, which which I always love that they put in there in almost all these codes is, or at the discretion of the local fire official, right? So Mm -hmm. that opened Pandora's box (laughs) because now you have jurisdictions that are saying, well, I don't care if it's a 10,000 square foot building or a 50,000 square foot building. I want my first responder to have coverage. Mm -hmm. The type of building shouldn't matter. So now you have many jurisdictions that are actually there are several that have no building size requirement um, that every commercial building in their jurisdiction will have a radio test to make sure they have adequate in building public safety radio coverage. You know, I, I look at that as a double-edged sword, right? Because it's great, but at one point, there has to be a reasonableness standard. You know, I, I had a, a a customer up in Washington State. They did a pre-walk test or a pre-site test to test the coverage on a Pete's drive through coffee. <laughs> the building was 160 square feet.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, that seems <laughs> excessive, <laughs> huh? And,
1: and that that is absolutely excessive. And, you know, and the thing is, is I just said to myself, Oh my goodness! If it, what if it fails?
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Well, how do how do they achieve that at something so small? Because you know, scale makes sense.
1: I, I, we were all baffled, yeah. like that they were, you know. But I just had one um, this week that came up. It was a converted bank, and the fire official went into the old vault where the vault was, and that took up a sizable portion of the building. Failed. It, it needs a system. This will literally be like one antenna mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. i mean it's mm-hmm. it's it's tiny tiny building i don't know the exact square footage but he went into the vault no coverage you need a system mm-hmm. and it's holding up the tcl like you said it's holding up the certificate of occupancy they can't open the building for the new commercial use they can't use it so you know there there, there is there, there does need to be a reasonableness standard i think even in the even in the industry but we're seeing, we are seeing many jurisdictions lower the 50,000 square foot requirement.
0: Right. Well, and, and just to give some perspective, um, University of Michigan did some really um, interesting research on commercial buildings in the US. In, in 2018, the research showed there was roughly just under 6 million commercial buildings that were about 97 billion square feet of floor space. They forecast that by 2050, we're going to have upwards of 123, 124 billion square feet or, you know, a 33% increase from where we're at today in 2020, 2021. So that just yeah. goes to show how important it is to stay ahead of this, right? Because we're, sti- we're still building. We're building like crazy. And all these new buildings need to be addressed as as they're being planned, not after the fact.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially for the building owner, you know, we, we get a lot. and I, I get brought in on a lot of oopsies, what we call them, where the architect left it out of the, 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 the plan drawings and they left it out completely. And boy, is it a lot more expensive to do it later, especially in the jurisdictions that require the the cable runs to be in conduit or two hour rated conduit or two hour fire. Mm-hmm. You know pr- that gets real expensive really quick. And you know, and it's unfortunate, uh, but again, it comes down to education because here you even have some of the largest architectural firms out there that don't address this issue that is in the fire code. So. Again, it's education, 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 education. I just had one last week. Uh, I don't want to say the brand of the hotel, but it was a brand new mid-chain size type hotel uh, in Northern California that they didn't put a system in. Fire department went to check their fire alarm and then check, did the radio coverage and said, "Where's your DAS?" And the guy's like, "What are you talking about? What what is a DAS? What's an ERC? I don't know what you're talking about." And he's like, "You're not opening."
2: Yep. So you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing that we we you know, we talk about here, and I think it it. It is good that municipalities across the country are looking out for average Joe, making sure that the first responders are, are you know, are starting to, to have communication within the facilities and buildings so that they can do their job and that overall the community can be protected. So we have made a lot of progress, and it continues to make progress down that path.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, from where we've
1: come, when. Public safety DAS first started, and you know, as, as a little history of where it came from is, is it all started after nine eleven. That was mm-hmm. the that was the impetus for public safety DAS, and you know, I, I I cringe at the thought of having you know what those guys went through and and those first responders, you know, because that's just the definition of bravery, right? You know, you're walking into a building that you just know is. I mean, can't be stable. You know, your radios aren't working, and they went in anyway. I mean, it's just—it's just fascinating, stunningly, stunningly brave. But in the early days, unfortunately, um, there wasn't a lot of knowledge, and you know, the New York City Fire Department got a really bad taste of in-building public safety, and that kind of hurt the industry in, in its naysaying days and its very early days. And fortunately, we've come a lot farther, and a lot of jurisdictions have gotten past. Uh, some of the missteps that, mm-hmm. that occurred back in the early days. And every day, every day I get an, well, not every day, every week, I hear from a new agency saying, Hey, you know, we want to start doing this or, Hey, what's this, you know, new enforcement or we want to get some training or can you come mm-hmm. out? And, you know, look, I'm in, uh, uh, I, I travel a lot. I mean, it was just, even this year is a uh, 130 nights on the road. And I'm, I, every city I go to, I'm talking to a, a fire jurisdiction, you know, I'm going to be talking to one today. Uh, this afternoon, so it, it's just education, 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 education. We just yeah. have to educate the community.
0: Well, and, and we may have some listeners out there that are sitting there and their head spinning because maybe they're in the commercial real estate development space and they're thinking, "Oh, wow, okay. So I've got public safety radio I got to wor- worry about. I've got cellular service I got to worry about. I got Wi-Fi I got to worry about. Oh, and maybe I want to even have a smart building where I've, you know, I've got sensors and stuff so that I know when I've got, you know, things going wrong in my my heating system." it can be completely overwhelming. Like what else do I not know about that I need to be thinking about? So it can be overwhelming. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. Um, as always, you know, we invite our audience. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, if you have things we may have said that are wrong, we want you to let us know. So definitely go to five G uh, touch base with us. Um, as always, Wayne and I have been offering free consultations to folks that have great questions that we think would be great episodes for our audience. So, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And Chris, how, how can people connect with you and in your world? Um, if they have specific questions or need help in, in that space about public safety to ask?
1: It, Free to reach out to me. Um, my email address, uh, is C K U H L at comba dot com. And, um, we're happy. We're always happy, happy to have a discussion. We we're, very much open to educating anybody who's willing to listen and we, we 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 always make it a point that when we go out and when I go out to jurisdictions it's not a sales pitch right we're not selling you anything we're educating you and if you want to further the conversation later great but my whole pur- my whole purpose and you know comba really backs me up on this is education first and we start there and then we'll if, if we're a fit for you later and you know it, it's very interesting you know I was out at a jurisdiction that We couldn't help because we didn't offer a certain type. We don't offer a certain type of product, but we still went out and trained them, right? There was nothing in it for us other than saying, hey, this agency, we're going to get them up and running and help
2: them out. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us and sharing your wisdom. It's been pretty amazing. It's an amazing story, and thank you for what you do. Thank you,
1: guys, and um, I hope we all learned a little bit something today.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Thanks to everyone for listening. Until next time, uh, thanks for joining.
1: Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5GGuys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.